Welcome to Victory Church's online podcast library. We hope you enjoy this message today. Um, I want to read this passage again. You know, reading the Bible is, is the most powerful part of every sermon. The reading parts. It's more powerful than anything anyone will have to, ever have to say. So pay close attention to this. This is um, Paul, the apostle, and he was giving instructions about our most, our most sacred act in the church. As, as we come together, we take communion, which is a picture of the spiritual union that we have in Christ. And that union, is, it's twofold. It, it starts with this this uh, relationship with Christ, communion with the Lord, and then it spills over into fellowship with our brothers and sisters. You know, John said that he, what he, he wrote the first letter of John so that they could know that Jesus was the Son of God and, that, and by, by, that, by knowing that, that they could have fellowship with Him and with His Son, Jesus, with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So it's really all one and the same. Our relationship with Him and our relationship with one another, it's, that's the reality of our Christian faith. And communion is the picture of that. And, and more than just a picture, it's, it's the experiential, it's the sense of that. It's the experience of that. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. And this is, you know, we're, this, there's an act of faith when you take communion. We're releasing our faith. You know, we've learned, you know, we learned in 1994, we learned that the laying on of hands was not just symbolic. It was not just a religious ritual. We learned that something happens through the laying on of hands. And communion is like that. Even more so, communion is the impartation of supernatural life. Wow. And that's, that's what we're going to do. We're preparing our hearts to step over and to step into this. So here's Paul's teaching on it. He said, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had, he was, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a person must examine himself. We have to examine ourselves. We live in a constant state of examining ourselves before the Lord. It's the way we live. We examine ourselves. And in so doing, he's to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. As we examine ourselves, we eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For the one who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not properly discern or recognize the body. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number are asleep or have died. If we are judged rightly, we would not be judged. So there, that's the, the passage I wanted to read. And I want to just share, again, a few thoughts. Um, a couple of these things I mentioned this morning, but I, I want to just add a little more, a little more substance. Um, this first one, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 26, um, Paul said, As often as you eat this bread, which we're about to do, 
We're going to have the communion in a few minutes. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. It's a proclamation. You are proclaiming, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that his blood cleanses my sins. I believe that somehow, even though I don't understand it, somehow I've been connected to his body, to the body of Christ. What he said, bone of my bone and flesh of his flesh, that's true in my life now. I'm his and he's mine. I'm proclaiming the Lord's death every time I take communion. Now, this reminds me of this verse in John chapter 1, verse 18. John said, no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has proclaimed him or declared him. So the the life of Jesus, when Jesus was here on the earth, his life was a proclamation. He was a proclamation. He was the word of God. He was proclaiming. He was speaking God with all of his actions. When he healed the sick, he was proclaiming the Father. When he walked on water, he was proclaiming the Father. When he turned water into wine, he was proclaiming the Father. When he died on the cross, he was proclaiming God so loved the world. When he was buried in the grave, he was proclaiming the death of death forevermore. When he was raised up from the dead, he was proclaiming life that's been purchased for us. Hallelujah. So, yes, tonight we are, this is, this is our life. Communion is our life. We, we eat his body and we drink his blood. Our life becomes communion. We are his body, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And our life becomes that testimony. You become the proclamation. Your life becomes the testimony of Jesus. Your life is intended to be the proclamation. Maybe you can't articulate it yet real good. Maybe you feel like you can't preach the gospel or explain it perfectly. You can get by a few thoughts, but you feel awkward in your, in your terminology. Well, let, let me reassure you, your life is a proclamation. Your life is preaching Christ more than you know. It's loud and it's clear to the people around you. If Jesus is in you, it's loud and it's clear. They might mock you. They might try to get you to stumble. They might try to get you to come back into, into your old ways and be like them to soothe their own conscience. But you walk in the ways of the Lord. Your life is a proclamation. You're proclaiming the Lord's death. You're proclaiming the blood of Jesus. You're proclaiming the cross. You're proclaiming the resurrection for your very existence. And here we move into this discerning his body. We talked about this. This is, this is holy ground. I mean, communion is holy ground. Moses approached the bush. We're approaching the body and blood of Jesus. This is holier than Moses' bush. The communion. The presence. The torn veil. Access to the holiest of all. And he says, he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And the first part of that we talked about this morning is is discerning the, the body of Christ all around us. Recognizing the spiritual nature of the church. The church is not an organization yeah, of course, we have to live by the laws of the land, and we have to have a, a corporation and bylaws and, and have a, a, a legal existence to function as a church. But that's not what the church is. You can have all of that and not be the church. 
You can have all of those ordinances and all those things in place and not be the church. Because the church is spiritual. It's not instituted or, or, or not governed by man. Man cannot govern the church. It's, it's, it's spiritual by nature. Christ is the head of the church and he places his people in positions of authority in the church, his shepherds, to lead his congregations. It's spiritual by nature. And don't ever find yourself on the wrong end of that, criticizing and pointing fingers at the church or his shepherds. It's a dangerous place to be. So this is what John taught in 1 John. And this, John is the, he's known as the apostle of love. And it's said about John that when he got old, he lived to be, he's the only one they couldn't kill. He lived to be an old, old man. And he, it sounds like he got a little bit dithering in his old age. And he, he would, they, it said, I don't know if it's true or not, but it, it could very well be true. It said that when they put him up at the pulpit at the end of his life, that all he would say was love. That way he got to the point where it was just love. That was it. It was love of God. The love of God coming in and going out. That was it. The love of God. But this is what John wrote in his letter. He says, this is the message we've heard from him and announced to you. That God is light. And in him there's no darkness at all. Now he's going to explain that a little bit. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So he's connecting walking in the light to walking in communion or fellowship with other believers. Walking in darkness is not walking in fellowship with other believers. That's, what, that's the way John's describing it. He says, in the blood of, and he says, when we walk in the light... Is he in the, is in the light? We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So he's connecting the blood of Jesus and forgiveness to walking in the love of God in the house of God with his church. It's very powerful. This is what John was talking about too. And, and, and I mean, G, Paul was talking about, and John goes on to say, the one who says that he's in the light and yet hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother and sister remains in the light, and there's nothing in him to cause stumbling. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So you walk in unforgiveness toward other Christians. John said you walk in darkness, and you don't know where you're going. You think you do, but you're walking in, 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 ba- in bad directions, and you're going to bring destruction ultimately into your worlds. This is what a couple of things I wrote about that. This seems to echo the words of Jesus. How Jesus said it was like this. If you don't forgive your brother, neither will your heavenly father forgive you. Forgiveness is obviously quite a significant thing in the eyes of the Lord. After all, it costs Jesus' life. If the Lord has forgiven us in all of our miserableness, it's essential that we forgive those who have wronged us. This is the essence of fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. This is the whole point of communion. This is the celebration of restored relationship through forgiveness. I often think of the woman of the streets that washed Jesus' feet with her tears. Not Mary, not Mary or Bethany or Magdalene. It's the, this is the one in, in, in Luke's gospel. Woman that snuck in at the Pharisee's house. Woman of the streets that came in and started washing Jesus' feet with her tears. Jesus said she loved much. 
because she had been forgiven much. He said she had this great love and passion for the Lord where she couldn't help herself. She, she didn't care what anyone did or what they did to her. She was going to thank him and she was going to wash his feet with her tears. And Jesus said it was because he looked at the fear. The Pharisee criticized this. And Jesus said, you, you see what she's doing? She's washing my feet with her tears. She's, she's been forgiven much, so she loves much. And Jesus says this, to, says this guy, you didn't even wash my feet from the dirt, which is the custom. You didn't even have someone wash my feet when I came and sat down at your table, you ugly thing. What's wrong with you? So he said, you know, the woman was forgiven much. This Pharisee thought he didn't need to be forgiven much. So there's no love. He thought he had his stuff together. When we come to the table of the Lord and prepare to eat his body and drink his blood, we must prepare our hearts. A good place to start is this. We can do this in a few minutes when we take communion. Father, forgive my sins as I forgive those who sinned against me. Let's try it right now. Father, forgive my sins as I forgive those who sinned against me. Powerful. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. Now here's the other, the second part of discerning the Lord's body. Recognizing the power of his death. Recognizing the significance and the power of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Recognizing the power in the wounds of Jesus. You know, there was a group of missionaries that actually were the, responsible for the conversion of John Wesley. They were Mor Moravians. And even to this day, there's some of their churches, especially in the Caribbean, they, would, they sent missionaries back in the 1700s all over the place when no one was doing foreign mission, missions. These guys sent people out. And they had an unusual, this, this unusual message that I've never heard any other group get, get connected to, but, but they would preach over and over again about the wounds of Jesus. That was the, they, were, they were hung up on the wounds of Jesus. And it apparently was a good thing because they had a, a mighty move of God and one of their converts was John Wesley, which was quite significant. So anyway, recognizing the power of his death. Take a look. When, when Thomas was doubting, Jesus said, have a look in my hands. Put your hands on my nail prints. Touch my wounds. We can touch those wounds by faith. And it'll change, it'll change our life. He was wounded for your transgressions. Here's how Peter quoted it. Who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. 1 Peter 2.24 That having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By whose stripes, by whose the stripes, the wounds on his back, you were healed. By his stripes, I was healed. So yeah, by his stripes, the whipping post speaks to me of the, the healing power of Jesus of Nazareth. When they whipped him beyond recognition and blood flowed like a river from his body, those, every one of those wounds were crying out, healing for me. When he was nailed to the cross and the blood flowed like a river from his hands and from his feet, every drop of that blood was crying out, forgiven, 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 forgiven. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Father, forgive their sins. Those, that blood was shed for you and it was shed, shed for me. I, my sins are forgiven and my body is made whole by the power of the wounds of Jesus. Amen. It also... It breaks the curse of poverty on my life. I've, I've got a scripture here that's Galatians 3.13. I'm not going to take the time to read it, but 
one of the things about, you know, we think of communion, we're thinking about, we're meditating and reflecting on the death of Christ. And one of the images that you always see, it was in all the Gospels, and you see in all the, the, the pictures of Christ connected to his crucifixion and the cross, he was wearing a crown of thorns. And it was the, the, the Romans put it there to mock him. But it was actually a prophetic sign from God. God inspired some horrible, horrible, cursing, profane Roman soldier that was mocking Jesus to put that crown of thorns on his head because it was a prophetic sign to the nations. And what it, it went back, it was a prophecy that went all the way back to Genesis 3. There was a curse that came upon mankind and upon this creation, this earth. The, 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 the ground brought forth, instead of it being blessing and prosperous and successful, it began to, to bring thorns from the ground. It's the sign of the curse. Thorns are the sign of the curse. Jesus was cursed in my place. He became a curse for me. He not only took my sin and my sickness, He took my poverty. That curse. He took it in His body on the cross. By His wounds. That curse. If you feel like you're laboring, never can get by, never can get by, never can get by. Look to the Word of God. Look to Jesus. Look to the cross. Recognize He was cursed for you. Take His body. Take His blood. Recognize this covenant. And your part is the tithe. His part is He gave His life. And you get involved in that. In the blessing of God. I don't want to serve under a curse. I, I want blessing to be on my hands. On the work of my hands. You know, you want more than, than just the, and the good thing about, about Christianity. You don't just have to, to have the same kind of harvest that the world has. If you walk in the blessing of God, the curse is broken and you're walking in faith. The same amount of work for a Christian can bring a greater harvest than the work for an unbeliever. Because there's a blessing added to it. He puts his blessing on your crops. Amen. So he breaks the curse. All that, when I'm taking communion today, I'm recognizing that curse is broken off of my life. Hallelujah. He breaks the devil's control off of our life. Maybe you've been afflicted with fear. Fear is not from the Lord. Fear is demonic. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Maybe you're tormented with lust. You can't shake it. That's demonic. It's not the plan of God for you to be bound by, by lust and immorality. To that be just stealing your thoughts. And you can ne never get your thoughts straightened out because lust keeps crowding its way. That's not the Lord. It's a, it's a spirit of lust trying to destroy your life. You don't have to live that way. Addictions, alcoholism, it's connected to a, a, an oppressive demonic power that holds you as its slave. Alcoholism, drug addiction... That can come out of you and off of you, whatever, whatever the degree is whole in your life. So here's the scripture. They overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. They overcame the devil because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. Colossians says it like this. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. Devil's lost its power off of me. No longer controlling my life. 
My thoughts are not under his dominion. Ah, oh, yeah, take authority in the name of Jesus. Take authority of every, every foul thought. Say, get out of my world. Get out of my life. Leave me in the name of Jesus. I'm not going to listen to your filthy talk anymore. I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. You overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the words of your mouth. I am free in Jesus name. Say it right now. I am free in Jesus name. The blood of Jesus. Say it out loud. The blood of Jesus breaks the chains of addiction from off of my life. Get out of my life. Leave me in Jesus name. And here's the last one as we take, get ready to take communion. The last part. It's Hebrews chapter 10, the holiest of all. This is a scripture that turned my life around in 1975. 1975. We had a snow day. I tell this story all the time. We had a snow. We, we, I was a tree planter. We were planting trees to finance our ministry, God's Army in California. We were up in, in, in Coos Bay, Oregon, planting trees in the forest. And the snow came in that day, and we had a, couldn't, you can't plant trees when it was snowing, so we had a day off. And we went to town, and we went to the town of Coos Bay, Oregon. And um, I stumbled into the Coos Bay Bible house, uh, bookstore. There's a little hole in the wall. And I found this little book. I couldn't afford it. We didn't have money. We were, all of our money was going to the ministry. We were living in common. We didn't make money. We were giving our money to the ministry to support the work of God. And we had, you know, like a... I guess you'd like a stipend allowance or whatever. So I had a few dollars. And so I couldn't afford much, but I found a mini book called Let Us Draw Near by Andrew Murray. And it was based on these verses. Let Us Draw Near. And it was, a, it was a, about life in the presence of God. About life behind the veil is, is what he called it. The veil in the temple was torn when Christ was crucified, it was ripped in two. The veil that separated man from God. The veil behind the veil was the glory. That veil was torn as Christ was being crucified. Read it. It's in the Bible. It's a big veil. It went, you know, a huge veil. Many feet. I don't remember the dimensions of it. It was a big veil, thick, woven, and it was ripped from top to bottom, signifying the way into the holiest of all has been opened. Paul said that that veil was a picture of human flesh. That flesh was torn. Human flesh was torn at Calvary by when Jesus was, when his flesh was torn. Opening the way. So here we go in Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holiest of all by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, through his flesh. The common thread that runs through the body of Christ in all its denominations and cultural differences that even spans the 2,000 years there has been a ch- and that there has been a church is communion. It started the night Jesus was betrayed. It was also the night he washed his disciples' feet and taught them about the soon coming of the Holy Spirit. It was all connected. Jesus took the bread and the fruit of the vine and said, eat my body and drink my blood. He said, when you do this, you are proclaiming my death. This is the very heart of our Christian faith. This speaks of why Jesus came to bring us to God. This is the way into his presence. This is the way into the presence. What you feel in this church, the glory of God, the way in is the blood of Jesus. 
eat his body, drink his blood. This is how we enter the new life behind the veil. Can you imagine the conflict of emotion in Christ at the table that night when he instituted the communion meal? His humanity was facing the horrible death on the cross as well as the denial and betrayal of his disciples. At the same time, he was flooded with joy as he told his disciples to eat his body and drink his blood. This moment of moments is why he came. He came to bring us to God. So tonight, eat his body, drink his blood. This is the substance of our joy. This is our joy. This is how we live. Thank you, Lord. Visit our website at www.victorychurchnola.com for service times and more information.